great to see you. It's great to be in God's house. And uh, yes, what a blessing to have Jody back with us, huh? Playing the piano? Isn't that great? <laughs> All right. Thank you, Jody. And um, also, Claudia. What a blessing to have Claudia on our, our praise team is growing, huh? <laughs> thank you, Claudia. Amen. Amen. Well, we have some uh, prayer, a couple prayer needs. We definitely want to pray for Ukraine, right? We want to pray for what's happening there. Huh? And then I also got the chance to talk with uh, Mary uh, Alvarez. Uh, she's, she needs our prayers. Uh, her back is pretty serious. So uh, she needs um, God's touch of healing. So let's bow together and, and go to the Lord in prayer, shall we? Father God, uh, we want to pray for we want to pray for um, Mary, that, that to uh, just be with her, Lord, and give her your touch, Lord. Give her your, your Holy, let your Holy Spirit uh, just touch her and heal her, Lord. Uh, minister to her back and uh, just give her the, you know, the healing touch, Lord, by your Holy Spirit, Father, please. Thank you, God. And uh, Lord, we want to pray for uh, Ukraine. We pray as a church, Lord. Um, for what's happening there, the war. Uh, we just pray that you give wisdom. We pray for the Christians. We pray for all who are in Ukraine. We pray your protection upon them, Lord. Give them wisdom um, as they resist this um, invasion uh, from Russia. We just pray you give them wisdom how mm, to defend uh, themselves. We pray that you protect them. Send your angels, Lord, to watch over them. Uh, we just pray that you keep them uh, safe, Lord, and... Um, you know, give them the strength they need at this time, Lord, uh, in the battle. And um, we do pray for peace. We do pray, God, that you bring a peaceful resolution, please, uh, to this war, Father. Um, please work by your spirit, by your Holy Spirit. And we thank you, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, everyone. So this last week... Uh, began the season of Lent. Um, I know we Baptists all, uh, don't often, uh, 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 you know, do Lent, but uh, my wife ha that's, has a um, kind of her uh, upbringing, and it, she reminded me, and it certainly is. It, the four, Lent is the 40 days of preparation before Easter, okay, before the celebration of Easter, before the celebration of how Jesus died for our sins and rose again. Before the celebration of how Jesus proved to be the Son of God by his resurrection from the dead. Amen? Easter. Easter is, is where we remember what our risen Lord has done for us. He came to be our rescuer. He came to be our liberator. He came to be our redeemer. There's a proper view. There's a proper view to have of Jesus the Redeemer. And as Max Licato, author and pastor Max Licato, reminds us in a book that he wrote, there are also some weak and wrong views of Jesus the Redeemer. He writes about it in his book. His book called Six Hours, One Friday. He says these are the three weak views people have of Jesus the Redeemer. The first weak view is this. That people look at Jesus as a rabbit foot redeemer. Uh, you, pull, you put him in your pocket, he's a lucky charm. 
You can frame him. You can uh, dangle him from your rearview window. You can glue him on your dashboard. His specialty is getting you out of a jam. If you need a parking place, just rub the Redeemer. Uh, you, need a, you, need, you need help on a quiz, pull out the rabbit's foot. No need to have a relationship. No need to love him. He, you just need him as your lucky charm. That's one week view. Second, second week view is the Aladdin, the Aladdin lamp redeemer, okay? You know, the Aladdin comes out of the lamp and says, your wish is my command. And uh, he conveniently, uh, he, he conveniently re-enters the lamp when, you're, when you don't want him around. Okay, that's the Aladdin lamp redeemer. And the last one is the Monty Hall redeemer. Anybody remember Monty Hall? The price is right, huh? Uh, he's a, the, the, he, this is this is a redeemer where you say to God to, to the Lord, you know, I will dress. I'll, here's the deal I'll make with you. I'll go to church every 52 days a week. I'll dress up, go to church. I'll endure any sermon you can throw at me, but in exchange, you give me the pearly gate number three <laughs> for grace. <laughs> these uh, redeemers, these uh, uh, rabbit foot redeemer. Uh, Aladdin's Lamp Redeemer, Monty Hall Redeemer. These all have few demands, few challenges, no sacrifice, and no commitment. You know, they are spiritless, powerless, and heartless. You know, Jesus, we want to take a look at now what Jesus says about himself. These, the, the real Redeemer, the real New Testament Redeemer, if you have a Bible with you, I think it's also going to be on our screen. We're going to look at John chapter 5, continuing our series through the book of John, uh, verses 16 through 30. We're going to take a look at what Jesus, the true Redeemer, says about himself. John chapter 5, beginning with verse 16, and we'll go to verse 30. So if you're able and willing, if you could stand with me, and we'll read this together. And it says this. <clears throat> so because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jews persecuted him. Jesus said to them, my father is always at work to this very day, and I too am working. For this reason, I'm on verse 18 now, for this reason, the Jews tried all the harder to kill him. Not only because he was breaking the Sabbath, because he was calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Jesus gave them this answer. I tell you the truth. The Son of Man can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing. Because whatever the father does, the son also does. For the father loves the son and shows him all he does. Yes, to your amazement, he will show him even greater things than these. For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son gives life to whom he pleases. He is pleased to give it. Moreover, the Father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. I tell you the truth, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He's crossed over from death to life. 
I tell you the truth. A time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son to have life in himself. And he has given his authority, he's given him authority to judge because he is the Son of Man. Do not be amazed at this, for a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done e good will rise to live, and those who have done evil will rise to be condemned. By myself I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear, and my judgment is just, for I seek not to please myself, but to please him who sent me. Amen. You may be seated. Amen. The Redeemer of the New Testament is one with Almighty God. He shares the nature of God. He shares the reign of God because He is the only begotten Son of God. We're going to look now at what the Word of God tells us who Jesus is. And the Word of God tells us Jesus and the Father are one. Jesus and the Father are one. As we saw last time, Jesus healed the, the man who was an uh, invalid at the pool of Bethesda, you remember? He, and he healed him on a Sabbath day. And the Jews took the opportunity to uh, 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 accuse Jesus. That was an excuse for them to accuse him, to harass him, to persecute him because he worked on the Sabbath. That was their excuse. But Jesus took this opportunity to declare his deity, that he's God in flesh. We're going to look at four ways, claims, that Jesus made about himself being one with the Father this morning. And we're going to begin with this. Beginning with the very work they're accusing him of doing. Jesus is one with the Father, and what he's saying is he is one. They are one in their work. Verse 17 and 18. Jesus said, My Father is always at work to this very day, and I too am working. For this reason, the Jews tried all the more to kill him. Because he not only broke the Sabbath, but he called God his Father, making himself equal with God. They understood. Jesus was, was claiming a unique relationship with God as his personal Father. That They understood he was claiming to be God in flesh, equality. And this isn't the only time Jesus made a statement like this. John chapter 10, verse 30. He says in, in, the, in the clearest of terms, I and the Father are one. And then the, the Jews at that time picked up stones to stone him because of blasphemy, because it, it literally says he was claiming to be God. And they were going to kill him right then and there. They were going to kill him, but that was not how God ordained Jesus to die. It was not his time to die. Jesus, they tried to grab a hold of him. And Jesus escaped their, their grasp. That was not. God's time, but he did God's time for him. But it was, he did claim to be God in flesh. He claimed to be one with the Father. I and the Father are one. You know, C.S. Lewis 
talks about the claims of Jesus. And uh, he says it this way. If you take his claims seriously, you only have three choices. Jesus claimed to be God in flesh. Uh, you only have three choices. Either he's a lunatic uh, on the level of a man who thinks he's a poached egg. Or he's a devil of, devil of hell lying about who he is. Or he is who he said he is. Both God and Lord. You see, that's called the trilemma. He's either Lord, he's either liar, or a lunatic. Make your choice. Those are the three choices to choose from. But you can't, you can't get away with saying, and Lewis makes the point, he's a good moral teacher. No, he didn't leave that as an option. He's one, of, he's one of the three. He's one of the three. So Jesus was being accused of breaking the Sabbath. Uh, literally breaking, what it really was, is breaking their man-made traditions about the Sabbath. Because the Sabbath, you know, was supposed to be a day of rest where you don't work. Uh, the Sabbath, didn't God say uh, in Genesis 2-2, didn't the Bible say God, on the seventh day God rested? What is it done? Uh, Jesus answered their accusation in verse 17. He said, my father is at work, always at work to this very day, and I am working too. Yes, it's true. God rested on the Sabbath, and so should we. That's true. That's a biblical principle. But God didn't stop all of his life-sustaining work on the Sabbath. Uh, the, the sun still rises. The, the rain still falls. The grass still grows. The universe still holds together. <laughs> God didn't stop his work, his life-sustaining work. And he didn't stop his works of love. You see, Jesus, when he healed this man, he was doing a work of love. And not only was he doing a work of love, he was doing God's work of love. You see, when they accused Jesus of healing the man, when they criticized him, they were really criticizing God. Why? God is the one who healed him. God is the one who healed this man. Jesus was doing the work of God, doing the work of his Father. You know, we should take a lesson from Jesus. We should take a lesson from Jesus. Je uh, the Sabbath day is a day of rest. Yes, as a matter of fact, the word Sabbath literally means rest. That's what it means. It means rest. But we don't stop doing the good works God calls us to do just because it's a Sabbath. We don't stop loving people. We don't stop being a witness for Jesus Christ. Uh, as a matter of fact, the Bible says it this way, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. If you're a Christian, if you have Christ living within you, you are created for good works, which God prepares beforehand for you to walk in them. So you've got to be ready to do the good work whatever day of the week God calls you to do it. Amen? <laughs> Jesus and the Father are one. Do it the way Jesus did. Do the good works God calls you to do. Jesus and the Father are one. They are one in their work. And then secondly, they are one in their will. Verse 19 and 20. It says this. Jesus speaking, I tell you the truth. <clears throat> the Son of Man can do nothing. The Son can do nothing by himself. 
He can only do what he sees his father doing because whatever the father does, the son also does. For the father loves the son and shows him all that he does. Jesus was totally dependent upon the father. Philippians chapter 2 gives us more of an explanation of this. It tells us when Jesus came from heaven to earth, he emptied himself. The Greek word is kenosis, empty. He emptied himself of his heavenly glory. He didn't stop being God. He didn't, he didn't, but he stopped. He, 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 He laid aside his right to act as God, and as a man born on this earth, became totally dependent upon the Father for everything he said, everything he did. He became totally dependent on the Father in his direction. He became totally dependent on the Father in his, uh, the Father's word, and he became totally dependent on the Father's will. And he delighted to do God's will. That was his food, to do God's will. You remember, you know, Jesus was fully God, fully man. He was a perfect man. He never stepped outside of the Father's will. And, and in that, he gives us the example. He gives us the example. Do you remember when Jesus was with the Samaritan woman just a few weeks ago? We looked at that. And uh, matter of fact, this is in John chapter 4. And the, the reason he was by himself is because the other disciples went to go buy some food downtown. They went to the town to buy some food. They went to go get some good grub at the Grub Hub. <laughs> and they come back. They come back and say, Jesus, have some food. What did Jesus say? He said, I have food that you don't know about. They're wondering, did someone, wait a minute, someone around here got him some food? Jesus said, no. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish the work. You see, that was Jesus' spiritual food. And that was Jesus' delight. He delighted to do God's will. You and I should delight to do God's will. If you have his spirit within you, if you know God, if you know his love, if you have a relationship with him through his son, you should delight to do God's will. Listen to this. Psalm chapter 40, verse 8. King David says it this way. I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. You should delight in it. It should be your delight. It should be your desire. It should be your drive to do the Father's will. Jesus and the Father are one. They are one in their will. You, we should delight in the will, uh, in the will of God. What, how did Jesus teach us to pray the Lord's Prayer? Thy will be done. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The question is this. How do you know God's will? How do you, how do you know what he wants you to do? Uh, Jesus says that he sees what the Father is doing. He only does what he sees the Father doing. You see, the Father was revealing his will to Jesus as he walked. Just like he wants to reveal his will to you and to me as we walk upon this earth. Revealing his will, revealing the Father's will. How do you see it? How do you see it? How do you know it? Does it just drop out of the sky? How do you know it? You got to seek it. You got to seek it. But you got to be careful how you seek it. Why? Jesus is not the lamp. He's not the uh, 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 what's that? What's a redeemer? Uh, uh, the lamp. 
He's not the Aladdin lamp. He's not the Aladdin lamp redeemer. Uh, uh, your wish is my command. No, Jesus is the redeemer who says, take up your cross and follow me. Jesus is the redeemer who died for your sins so you can die for your, sin, for your sinful ways. Jesus. You know, when you find God's will, when you find God's will, it's going to be a, the righteous path that God has for you to walk. And so we can find, we can find, we can take a lesson from Jesus. Take a lesson from Jesus. His eyes were always on the Father, always in prayer. And he only did, whatever he did, he did it in love. His eyes were open to the Father. His eyes were open to those around. Whatever he did, he did it in love. And so should we. Amen. Uh, finding God's will will, will always and only be where it benefits others, where it builds up others, where it serves others. That's what Jesus was doing when he healed this paralytic, the man at the the Bethesda. He was serving. Remember Jesus said, I did not come to be served but to serve? Well, if he came to serve, what does that mean we're here to do? Amen? Yeah, we're to serve. So the finding God's will in our service, looking to God, you know, looking just like Jesus, looking to see what the Father is doing. What is God doing? What desire has he put in your heart? What, what, what doors has he closed? What, what doors has he opened? What, what circumstance do you, are you in in life right now? Those are some of the questions we should be asking when we're trying, we're seeking, seeking to know God's will. Jesus. And the Father are one. They are one in their will. They are one in their work. They are one in their will. And third, they are one in their life-giving power. Verse 24 and 25. 24 and 25. Jesus says this. I tell you the truth. Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He's crossed over from death to life. I tell you the truth. A time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. See, Jesus' words bring life. Jesus' words bring eternal life. You remember... You remember after Jesus fed the 5,000, after Jesus fed the 5,000, uh, he performed the miracle of taking the lunch of that little boy's lunch and multiplied it to, for the multitudes. Then he began to teach a big crowd of disciples. He began to teach them in symbolic language about eating his flesh and drinking his blood. And, and, and the Bible says in John chapter 6, that was a hard teaching for many of them to accept. They could not accept it. So they turned away. They stopped following Jesus. And in John 6, 66, he, Jesus talked to, to the 12. Then he turns to the 12 and he says, Are, do you want to leave me too? Then Peter said, then Peter said, Lord, where shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. See, Jesus' words are the words of eternal life. Jesus said in John 6, 63, the word, my words, the words I speak to you are spirit and they are life. To the believer, the Word of God is spiritual food. It's spiritual life. And you take it in. 
when you take it in, in his power. It is his power. It is his power. Do you know Albert Einstein? I didn't know I was going to talk about Albert Einstein. <laughs> Albert Einstein, kind of a smart guy. <laughs> Back in 1929, he was interviewed by a, a journalist by the name of George Virick. And he, he asked him about Christianity, and he asked him about, about the Bible. And he asked Albert Einstein, he said, to what extent are you influenced by Christianity? Einstein replied, as a child, I received instruction in the Bible and the Talmud. He says, I'm a Jew, but I'm enthralled by the luminous figure of the Nazarene, talking about Jesus. Uh, Virick asked him, you accept the historical Jesus? Einstein, unquestionably. No one can read the Gospels without feeling the actual presence of Jesus. His personality pulsates in every word. His personality pulsates in every word. Here you have one of the greatest scientists of all time recognizing there's something special about Jesus and about how God's Word tells us of Him. The Word, the life-giving Word, Jesus' life-giving word. God's word testifies about Jesus Christ. Jesus here in John chapter 5, he's, he's continuing to testify to the Jews about himself. Let's pick it up at verse 39 and 40. He's talking to them about eternal life, and he says it this way. We're in John chapter 5, verse 39. You, talking to the Jews, you diligently study the scriptures because you think by them you possess eternal life. These are the scriptures that testify about me. Yet you, you refuse to come to me that you might have this life. <laughs> the word of God testifies of Jesus. He's a central theme. His, his power is a life-giving power along with the Father. They were, they were searching the scriptures that were pointing to Jesus, but it was they didn't see it. They didn't see it. He is the one who has a life-giving power. Verse 24, going back to John 5, 24. He says it this way. I tell you the truth, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. Has eternal life. That's a present tense. That's right now. That's You believe it, you receive it. You've got eternal life the moment you put your faith and trust in Christ Jesus. It's, it's, a, it's a done deal. If you hear his word, did you notice how he said it there? Whoever hears my word and believes. And the spiritually dead become alive in Christ. Verse 25. It says this. I tell you the truth, the time is coming and has now come when the dead, talking about spiritually dead. We're going to talk about the physically dead in just a moment. Hear the voice of the Son of God and live. They hear and live. You hear his voice, you respond in faith, and you live. The Father and the Son share the life that they impart, the internal life that they impart. Verse 26, it says it this way. For the Father has life in himself, talking about eternal life, and he has granted the Son to have life in himself. This Jesus, this Jesus who was formed in the flesh by the Holy Spirit in the womb of the mother of the Virgin Mary, this Jesus, 
This Jesus who walked the earth, was created as a human being, but was God in flesh. This Jesus, this Jesus who died on the cross and rose again and sent his spirit into all who believe, he has the life-giving power. He has the power to give eternal life to those who he wills. Jesus and the Father are one in their life-giving power. In their life-giving power. Uh, the Father has life-giving power. Jesus has life-giving power. They together, Father and Son, are one in their life-giving power. So Jesus is one in the Father are one. They are one in their works. They are one in their will. They are one in their life-giving power. And third and fourth and finally, they are one. In their judgment. In their judgment. Verse 22 and 23 says it this way. <coughs> Moreover, the Father judges no one, Jesus is speaking, but has entrusted all judgment to the Son, so that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever doesn't honor the Son doesn't honor the Father. See, the honor that Jesus is, is to be given is equal. To the honor to be given God the Father. Why? Because their judgment is the same. Their judgment is the same. They are one in their judgment. They are one in their judgment. The judgment of Jesus is the judgment of the Father. The, they have an equal, Jesus has an equal authority to judge by the Father. Verse 27. It says, he has given him, talking about Jesus, authority to judge because he is the Son of Man. You know, we're all going to stand before the judgment seat of God. Did you know that? Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27. It's appointed upon man once to die, and after that judgment. I'm sorry to say, for any reincarnation, <laughs> that ain't how it goes. Not according to the Bible. Once to die, and then judgment. You see, the sobering fact is that death is final. Once you go through the door of death, once you go through the door of death, there's no second chances. Once you die, the moment you die, your eternal destiny is sealed. Your eternal destiny is sealed. Um, so it's important to hear Jesus' words now, to receive him now, so you will not be condemned. But you cross over from death to life. You'll not be judged. You know, with the war going on now in, in, in Ukraine, Russia's invasion, somebody asked a question uh, recently, is this the end of the world? Is this the end of the world? Well, the end of the world is going to happen when Jesus returns. At the second coming of Christ, there's going to be a judgment day before Jesus creates, before God creates a, a new heaven and a new earth, there's going to be a time of judgment. I had an opportunity back in 2001. I was privileged, along with other people from my church, Grace Baptist Fellowship. I got a couple of friends of mine, Carol and Chris, who were members way back when. Uh, I had the privilege to be a counselor at the Billy Graham Crusade in Fresno, um, along with some of, some of the rest of us. And the California Southern Baptist newspaper reported upon uh, Billy Graham some of his sermons and what he had to say. I'd like to quote to you some of what he said. 
This is, you remember, 2001, the Iraq war had just begun. And so he, 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 he included that in his comments. He says this. He said, the second coming of Christ is mentioned more than 300 times in the New Testament. He mentioned that. And, and he said, many people do not believe Jesus is going to return. Then I quote, some don't want to believe it because they're too comfortable living the way they are now. He said, materialism, in a way, has become our religion. We, we, we want to eat and drink and be merry without any interference in our selfish way of life. Now we're faced with a new kind of war, he's talking about the Iraq war, that we don't know what the end will be. Then he says this, the intensification of war, in my opinion, is one of the signs that the end of time is near. Billy Graham speaking. Uh, the end of the world as we know it will come when Christ returns. That will be judgment day. There will be a resurrection of the just and the unjust. Acts chapter 24, verse 15. The just and the unjust. Look at this, verse 28 now. He, he, Jesus talks about it here, 28 to 30. Do not be amazed at this, for time is coming. When all who hear... All who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good will rise to live. Those who have done evil will rise to be condemned. By myself, I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear. And my judgment is just. For I seek not to please myself, but to please him who sent me. Jesus, speaking about uh, his judgment. You know, the word judgment that he uses here in verse 30 is in the Greek is the word krisis. And it literally means to separate, as in making a judgment. It's the same word where we get our English word crisis. Uh, Webster's Dictionary, uh, Webster's Dictionary defines the word crisis as a decisive or crucial time, stage, or event. Matthew chapter 25 tells us about the event. It gives a picture of the event. When Christ comes back, it says he's going to be uh, uh, come back in his heavenly glory, sitting upon his throne, all the angels will, will be with him, and then he's going to separate. He's going to separate in a way of judging the sheep and the goats. To the sheep, uh, he's going to bless. He's going to say, blessed are you to enter in to your eternal, to the, my eternal kingdom. To the goats. The goats are cursed. It says in John, Matthew 25, to into eternal fire. That's the judgment. The judgment. Jesus and the Father are one. They are one in their judgments. Verse 29. Jesus says, you know, the, he, he tells us about that, about rising. Those who have done good will rise to live. Those who have done evil will rise to be condemned. Now, wait a minute. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Aren't you saved by faith? It says those who have done good. You see, good works are not the root of salvation. They are the fruit of salvation. Uh, if you have Christ in your life, you, you should show it, <laughs> right? If you know it, show it, huh? Uh, that's the good works, the good works that come from Jesus working within you. 
the fruit. This is talking about the fruit of faith. If you have Christ in your life, you should be, you should be bearing the fruit of faith. The good works you do should come from a changed life that's in obedience to Jesus Christ. Jesus and the Father are one in their judgment. And Jesus says, my judgment is just. It's going to be based on whether or not you put your faith in him and followed in his ways. Jesus and the Father are one. They are one in their works. Doing the works of love every day of the week. <laughs> they are one in their will. That was Jesus' food to do the Father's will. They are one in their life-giving power. <clears throat> it's the power to give eternal life. And they're one in their judgment. The second coming of Jesus Christ will be the day of judgment. Weak views of Jesus the Redeemer are just that. They're weak. They're a weak substitute for the real Jesus. He is God in flesh, second person of the Trinity, Son of God and our Savior. And it requires a relationship from his followers that's based on love. We show our love by, through our obedience to the one who loved us all the way to the cross. Jesus and the Father are one. When you believe in him, when you follow him, let's pray. Father God, Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word that gives life to those who hear and believe. Lord, is there anyone here this morning that hasn't yet, Lord Jesus, uh, invited you in, uh, put their trust in you for salvation? Let this be the day. Jesus, you, you said all who, your word says, all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So even now, Lord, uh, as we pray this prayer, Lord, if there's anyone here who hasn't yet accepted you, let them pray this prayer in their heart right now. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe in you. I believe you died for my sins and rose again. I ask you to come into my heart and lead me. Be my Lord and Savior. Forgive me of my sins. And I commit to follow you all the days of my life. Thank you, Jesus, for the gift of life, eternal life that you bring. In your name we pray. Amen.